Never give in. Never give in. Never, never, never. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. Socialists don't like ordinary people choosing, for they might not choose socialism. We cannot afford to be so politically correct anymore. Conservative One with George Christensen. G'day, I'm George Christensen, host of Conservative One, the podcast defending traditions and freedom. I'm joined by another podcast host that I just came across uh, only recently. I've known of him for quite a while. Uh, He's from the United States of America. He hosts a show called The Weekend Show, uh, another podcast he's launching soon and already has uh, a few podcast episodes up is called uh, Truth to Ponder. Uh, the person I'm talking about is Bob Beerman. He has been around in radio since the 1970s. Uh, but interestingly, he is a bishop, a bishop of the Reformed Anglican Church, which is a uh, I guess, a traditional Anglican church as opposed to the quite liberal Episcopal church in America. Uh, Ladies and gentlemen, Bob Beerman. How are you? Uh, Bishop Bob or Bob? Bob for the program. I'm so used to doing that because of my years in radio. And uh, apologize for the just out of bed look that we have because of our 14 hour time difference. Uh, I just got up a little while ago. And I'm excited to be here on your podcast today. Well, thank you very much. And I got to tell you, I was uh, keen to get you on after I heard uh, just one of your podcast episodes, the latest one. Uh, mm-hmm. You um, you cut through. Uh, you cut through a lot of the stuff that's going on out there. And uh, I've wanted to grab a voice from the USA uh, just to explain to us uh, what the hell is going on? Over yeah, there? well, let, let me give you some background. This may help just a little bit. Yeah. I've been in broadcasting, as you mentioned, since the early 1970s. I'm actually semi-retired now. But along the way, besides being on radio, I got involved with emergency management a little over a decade ago. And in that regard, I learned a lot about planning, preparation for disasters, man-made disasters, any kind of problem you run into. And I got called out of retirement early this year to help a county in North Carolina that is dealing with this pandemic that's uh, going around the nation. So I got to really see some of the data a lot of people don't normally get a chance to see. And then I watch how our media tries to disseminate this information And it's always about the panic. It's always about the fear. It's always about we're all going to die. When I was brought on board to go to a county in North Carolina, I'm not going to say which one, but I went up to North Carolina to a county of about 300,000 people, and they were telling us to expect by the middle of May, 3,000 people to be dead. And so we needed to accommodate, and I spent March and April planning for 3,000 people to die. How many people do you think died in that county as of yesterday? Uh, I'd hate to guess. It would be a very small number. 42. And out of that 42, we suspect that 20 had nothing to do with COVID. 
Wow. So that kind of changes things. Now, we were also told people will say, well, wait a minute, you did the mask wearing, you did the social distancing. We were told with using social distancing, we'd drop that 3,000 figure to 1,500. But it's still 42. That's what we're really seeing. One thing in the United States today, now back in back in March and April, if you were to watch CNN or MSNBC, two of the most, shall we say, biased networks in the United States, they were giving you the death toll number every day. They don't do it anymore. They give you this grand total occasionally because it sounds good, but they don't tell you how fast it's rising because it isn't. It really yeah. isn't. And they don't tell you that many of the deaths that they discuss are assumed. There was never a test taken. They just assume because they had either a fever or because they had a, a pneumonia-type symptom. It has to be COVID-19 without a test. And that's what's happening in the United States. Another thing that the media loves to talk about are overwhelmed hospitals. There's a new story over in South Carolina that this hospital is running at 94% capacity, and we're in trouble. Turns out the hospital had shut off two-thirds of their wings and beds and laid off two-thirds of their staff. They were 94% of one-third of what their capacity really is. And those numbers can be very misleading. People think, oh, and by the way, the uh, 94% of the rooms being used, 3% were being used by COVID patients. That's it. Now, had this been a normal run of time, they would have been less than 1% of the hospital's usage. And so these numbers are being thrown around that are just not correct. Yeah. And, they, and I really believe there's something, I hate to use the word nefarious, but I do know that Ron Emanuel, the former mayor of Chicago and former staff for uh, the Clinton administration, once said, never let a good crisis go to waste. And I think we're seeing a lot of that happening in the world today. We never let a good crisis go to waste. Well, yeah, I'm not one of the people who believe there's a pandemic, but uh, I agree with you on that front that there are a lot of people taking advantage of this situation uh, politically. And uh, that that is just uh, plain obvious. That is plain obvious. Let, let me um, give you another good example real quick. I just yeah. read this in the news this morning. This goes back a few days ago. In Wisconsin, if you are at home and you are an employee of one of the departments in the state of Wisconsin, and you're on like a Zoom call like you and I are on right now, something of this nature, even if you're home by yourself, you have to wear a mask to, to go on to a Zoom conference. <laughs> that is insane. I, I know. That it's, this is where it's coming to. It's all virtue signaling. It's yeah. all we have to. And, oh, and, now we're, and now we're finding out, you know, the neck uh, gaiters, you know what that is, the one you pull up over your face from, from your neck. Yeah, right. Yeah. They tend to spread the virus even more than not wearing a mask at all. They've determined that in a study that those you get 110 percent because it concentrates and the stuff that you're breathing all the time is accumulating and being breathed out at times through that gator, making it even worse. It doesn't yeah. do any good. 
It's like trying to stop a river with a chain link fence. I've, I've never heard um, uh, politics creeping into any medical situation ever, but uh, this is something altogether different. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, what you've just said, I mean, uh, the bizarre thing, you can jump on the internet, you can go on Google, just masks, the efficacy of masks against COVID-19 mm -hmm. or the Wuhan coronavirus. Right. So I like that. And um, you'll find a plethora of articles saying, yes, uh, that masks do work, and then a plethora of articles saying, they don't, all mm -hmm. with supposed experts being behind it. Uh, now, this is bizarre. I mean, uh, you know, the one thing that I do notice is that uh, uh, most um, leftist governments seem to be pushing wear the masks, wear the Absolutely. masks. Um, it's, it's really a bizarre thing that... Uh, but 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 I've I've never seen this sort of politicisation of of medicine where you've got experts on both sides telling us two completely different things and um, uh, you know we could go to the hydroxychloroquine debate as mm -hmm. well absolutely there certainly is a great degree I got to say a lot of it in the non-Western world a great degree of evidence out there about the efficacy of certain treatments involving hydroxychloroquine and zinc. Mm -hmm. uh, go into the Western world and it seems that Trump derangement syndrome has taken over. Absolutely. And, uh, and because Donald Trump said something good about hydroxychloroquine, it couldn't possibly be, be right for you. Well, I shared <laughs> on my program this past weekend about hydroxychloroquine and what we know about it and it's not something that uh, President Trump made up out of nowhere. Yeah. A lot of people forget we had the same exact, or well, not exactly the same, but a close relative called SARS-1, SARS-CoV-1, back in yeah. 2003, 2004. And it came from China. Sound familiar? It's another one of those nasty viruses from China. It got into, it got into 30 countries, but the difference back then the Chinese were more open about what happened, and so we were able to avoid the spread better than letting it fester for months getting out. People forget that in China, this was going on in October and November of last year, and the World Health Organization, the big who, kept saying there's nothing to worry about. It's not contagious. And so November, December, January, it is getting out all over the world. China shut down travel within China to Beijing, but they did not shut down travel from Wuhan to the rest of the world. That's and right. so it escaped. This is what people fail to understand. So we just have a greater spread early on, and that's why it's taking so long to contain and basically burn its way through wherever the hosts are. Now, we learned in 2003 and 2004 and there's an excellent article put out by the Center for Disease Control in Atlanta. Also, I think one of the Canadian version of the same thing, London Institute of Health. All of these groups that are world renowned, including the WHO, they discovered that hydro, uh, hydroxychloroquine worked. And that is, and I, you can go online 
and look yeah. for SARS-CoV and put in the date 2005. And that report comes up from a website. It's amazing. It's there. Anybody can see it. You can download it. I have. And this report came out 15 years ago talking about how effective it is as a prophylactic to prevent the spread. And what are we dealing with now? Oh, by the way, one of the agencies that signed off on that particular uh, report includes the one run by none other than Dr. Anthony Fauci. Now, PolitiFact will tell you that what I'm saying is not true, but just go to the CDC's own website, pull down the document, you'll find out what agency signed off. It has been made very political, and we're being lied to as well. All, all very bizarre. I read this um, article this week, uh, which talked about uh, the new normal. And I've got to tell you, if I hear that term said by the mainstream media again, I'm going to do my my TV set a great mm-hmm. deal of damage. But uh, uh, this this article talks about um, new normalism, <laughs> and exactly. I, I love the word of this uh, new normalism because it is an ism. It says, New Normalism is a classic totalitarian movement, albeit with a pathological twist. Mm-hmm. And it's the goal of every totalitarian movement to radically, utterly transform society, to remake the world in its monstrous image. In the new normal society they want to establish, fear and conformity will be pervasive. Their ideology is a pathologized ideology as opposed to, say, the racialized ideology of the Nazis. So it's symbology mm-hmm. Pathological fear of disease, infection, and death, and obsessive attention to matters of health will dominate every aspect of life. Paranoid propaganda and ideological conditioning will be ubiquitous and constant. Um, now, the article was written somewhat satirically, but with a little hint of reality there. I know. There's a television program in the United States that was popular. I guess it still is. I don't watch it that much i haven't seen it in ages but it is called the simpsons you've heard of that program along the way we love it somebody shared a little video clip from 10 years ago as all the media people gathered to plan a pandemic with a with a virus that'll be deadly and to put people in fear and i looked at it i'm going it's covid19 all over again but from 10 years ago in the simpsons and how they're going to get everybody afraid of everything and to do certain things. And I was amazed that sometimes you wonder, uh, does comedy or does any of this parallel the real world we're living in? It's, you know, satire is always based in reality. Mm. And that what's, it makes me wonder. So uh, I'm not sure where this is all leading to, because just like in the U.S., we've got areas here in Australia that are, a lockdown and um you know uh, actually uh, the reality is that more people died of influenza and pneumonia in the first three months of this year than they have died uh in the last eight months uh or seven and a half months of the year mm-hmm. uh, from uh, covid 19. well here um, in the united states we stopped counting flu deaths officially on the 4th of april even if you died of the flu on the 5th it became covid 19. wow that was a CDC mandate. If you understand how death certificates were coded after the April 4th ruling, I mean, we actually had people, this is no joke, 
and they finally took some of these people off. In Washington State, five people listed as COVID-19 deaths died of gunshot wounds. They had tested positive in the prior weeks. In Orlando, Florida, a person died in a motorcycle accident. COVID-19. This is happening over and over again. If you had tested positive somewhere along the way and you die within such a period of time, you're, you're automatically a COVID death. That's crazy. That stuff, thankfully, is not going on in Australia as far as we know. Um, but, you know, it all just adds to the point you made earlier uh, that um, people, you know, never let a crisis go to waste. And I Absolutely. think there is a big, big movement at the moment to just simply get Trump out uh, in the United States. And, uh, and in China. Uh, well, definitely in China. And a lot of the pandemic is, uh, and the reaction to it has been geared towards trying mm -hmm. to bring it down politically. Um, can I move away from the pandemic? Absolutely. Thing that has uh, gone on in the US recently, which is the Black Lives Matters movement. Now, um, uh, as terrible as uh, the death of uh, that, uh, that fellow was, uh, uh, George Floyd, mm -hmm. um, reaction to it i guess uh completely bewildering uh in australia initially to see all these people rioting in the streets and um burning buildings and looting stores and mm. all the rest of it. uh and then crazily enough we had protests break out out on our own streets uh here in australia where uh, thankfully there wasn't the uh the looting all of that but there certainly was violence there well, the, truth, was the truth is that black lives matter has has nothing to do with george floyd and what happened to him zero yeah it is an organization that has been around for several years it is well financed well planned and it has nothing to do with black lives matter it's kind of one of those things how do you say that when you come against them well, you, you don't like black people. You must be a racist is what is the reply. But none of these people that are doing these riots, primarily they're, they're white people in many cases, and they have no idea of what, why they're burning down buildings. I bet many of them today would probably even forget uh, what they're rioting about in places oh, like Washington, D.C. Um, Chicago is now going through another wave of people just breaking into stores. And the, the idea is, well, they're insured, so it doesn't matter. We can take their stuff. And, and I don't know how any of this uh, correlates to what happened to George Floyd at all. It, but it, the movement uh, has been around for years, and it is, well, like I say, well-funded. And their demands have nothing to do with racial relations. Nothing. The, the, the criminal behavior that uh, I saw, there was uh, a now uh, very famous... Uh, show that Tucker Carlson actually uh, had on his show mm -hmm. uh, where he showed a, a, a bunch of activity, criminal activity going on and how any of that related to uh, the death of George Floyd is beyond me. But again, uh, it seems to be that this whole movement has now been directed uh, to get Trump out. Um, immediately, he, he started... Uh, being blamed, either being blamed for the cause of the protests, being blamed for his reaction to the protests, being blamed for not uh, dealing with the civil unrest, 
um, uh, a great deal of Trump derangement syndrome going Absolutely. on. Absolutely. movement. So, well, well, people forget that in the United States, we have 50 governors for these states that are supposed to be taking care of those kind of matters within their state. It's not a. It's not the president's responsibility to do a governor's job. Um, we've seen that in in the states where all these riots are going on. Oregon is a good example, the city of Portland. Uh, that's Governor Brown, and that is the local mayor in those cities or in Portland or any any of that, that whole region. In uh, Seattle, same thing, Chicago, Mayor Lightfoot. These are, these are why people elect them to be leaders in their communities or their regions. And they have the police departments, which they are now trying to defund, to, to take care of these things and it's not happening. Instead of trying to fix the problem, they're trying to make the problem worse. Um, we're seeing in New York City, for example, a 400% increase in those officers retiring and leaving the city. And this yeah. is going to happen everywhere where they're being defunded. Um, one of the funniest videos I saw, a real video, was somebody protecting their store in front of a group of Black Lives Matter protesters with their big signs, defund the police. The guy comes out of his store holding a chainsaw get, saying, get away, because they were ready to break his windows. And someone goes, somebody needs to call 911 and get the police here. <laughs> and they're holding signs saying, defund the police. Idiots. Complete matter idiots. And, and how that helps matters, I mean, is beyond me. I, I can't imagine uh, shutting down police departments and stripping police of resources is going to cure racism uh, or even, even even potentially cure um, what may be perceived as systemic overreach within police departments. It's not going to cure it. Um, so, so uh, you know, if, if indeed there is anything systemic to cure, uh, but look, Looking at this from afar, I wonder. I mean, this stuff is not, you know, history now. It's happening. Only a couple of days ago, I understand there was about five hours of rioting and violence in Chicago. Uh, this stuff is still going on live right now. Well, the in the town, those downtown regions are becoming ghost towns because of all the COVID 19 lockdowns. I mean, yeah. right now, I think there's 100,000 businesses that are going to be never coming back. They're not coming back. Wow. And so, so, sad. Uh, are we seeing, uh, in your view, uh, you know, permanent civil unrest, as it's been written in one article I read recently? Are we seeing the breakdown of American civil society? In some places, yes. But, you know, my wife and I, we, we have two, we we're very blessed to have two places, uh, two residences. We have a small place up in the mountains of northeast Georgia, where we are all right now, and a house in Florida. And when we're up here in Georgia, we don't hear much about anything, uh, not even the COVID crisis. It's kind of like, well, it's there, but it's not here. Uh, but I don't worry about the Black Lives Matter people coming up here because people like myself and all my neighbors, we all have our concealed weapons permits and we know how to take care of ourselves. And so in the rural parts of the United States, you're not going to see this, this happening at all. Uh, it, you just don't. My neighbor up here is a retired sheriff's deputy. Um, we've got other retired law enforcement up here. And you got myself and, and all of us are armed. 
And so I don't think they're coming to our particular neighborhood in the mountains. Yeah. I just so don't there, really, there really is two Americas. And uh, I, I remember having this conversation with um, someone a while ago just saying that uh, these Black Lives Matters protesters or rioters is what they should be called. They're going to have to watch it because they try and take their roadshow into one of the, um, you know, the country towns. Uh, it won't work. Oh boys, uh, it, it's it's going to be uh, it's going to be a very very uh, deadly situation for them. It would be. Well, Surely. look, they, they 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 promised they were going to you know the Sturgis motorcycle rally that occurs every year is happening right now or just did, and they they were claiming they were going to go there and mess with those folk. I don't think so. They never did show up. You know, when you have thousands and thousands of motorcycle people with their Trump flags and everything else. And, of course, CNN will now say that they're going to spread COVID-19 back around the country and kill us all. But but when they riot and protest, it doesn't. You know, it, magically, the coronavirus does not infect anybody in a protest with somebody screaming in your face. But it does affect you and kill you when you sing in a church. Yeah. Notice. Inside. Well, yeah, and, it, and, you know, we've got churches that are... Uh, have to be shut because you can catch coronavirus there, but abortion clinics can be open, so that must be a mm -hmm. same thing here. You don't get coronavirus. Um, but I, I just on the issue of the uh, the two Americas and the good old boys uh, from from the uh, the counties. I saw a uh, Facebook post where, uh, and I can't remember the name of the town, but it was just the quintessential uh, small country American town where. Um, Word had gotten out that there were going to be uh, protesters that were that were bussing in um, to do a protest in that town, and so um, uh, a group of uh, I, I think that they were militiamen actually turned up and asked the uh, asked the local chamber of commerce if they minded if they defended the main street, mm -hmm. and they said, "Sure, please knock yourself out." So uh, the protesters turned up in a very small van, it was by the way, and there's photos mm -hmm. of this uh, online. These guys yeah. were armed to the teeth uh, uh, who were protecting the main street. And I think the protesters sort of looked at them, looked back at the van, held their signs up for a moment, then got back in the van and drove off. <laughs> Pretty much what would happen where I'm at up here in uh, in the mountains. Uh, they're yeah. just not, it's a beautiful area. We love it up here. We spend quite a bit of time up here. And I spent years in this part of the world uh, working, love it. And so my wife and I, we enjoy our time up here, but it's also a nice little, what I call a retreat. Now, where we live in Florida is not really a bad area. We do have a place on the East Coast, uh, but we are north of what I call the insane regions of Palm Beach, Miami, and Broward County, uh, the nutty areas of Florida. Um, but what a lot of people do not realize about Florida is it's not all Miami. It's not all Orlando. There's quite a bit of it that's it's very rural and a lot of farmers. So one place like Okeechobee County, um, Sebring, Florida, you're not going to find Black Lives Matters having any kind of a impact or even showing up. It's yeah. just the nature you know, Florida or the panhandle. Forget it in the panhandle. It's not happening. Too many military bases, too many retired military in the in that part of Florida. Uh, if you go, once you get past Tallahassee, a little, you know, blue pimple like, or Miami-Dade, uh, part of Tampa, the rest of the state is extremely conservative. People don't realize that. We're, we're 23 million in this state alone. 
in Florida. 23 million. You're listening to Conservative Wine. So let's um, go back to the uh, the magical protests where you can't catch coronavirus. I mm-hmm. understand that uh, might be next month that on the September the 17th, I'm not sure mm-hmm. whether you've heard this, but there's going to be a siege of the White House. You have some leftist group out there promoting this hashtag White House siege. Oh, that ought uh, to be fun. To, to occupy uh, the front of the White House, to block the White House, essentially, starting from September 17, and they're going to continue that right up until November the 3rd for 50 days, so they say. A sweet, revolutionary nonviolence, they're calling it. So uh, we've seen a lot of that uh, nonviolence going on in the US. Um, uh, I've got to say the Secret Service might not like uh, the kind of nonviolence that we've seen lately uh, being done in the front of the White House. But um, how do you think that's going to play out? Well, not well. Not well for the protesters because... What people don't understand, the security around the White House is a lot more than you'll ever see. It's just the nature of the beast. Um, nobody's going to be breaking into that area and get away with it. There is more security in that building than you can imagine. And more armament underground beneath it than you could ever imagine that will come out to stop anybody in their protest. I think if, if, this, is not 18, this is not 1860 when you could drive up to the front door. It's very different. Very different. I was just saying, I think a fellow found that out the hard way the other day. Um, Now, talking about the White House, uh, you've obviously got the US election in full swing. Uh, It's going to be a very different election. I mean, all of the forces, uh, mainstream media, uh, are all out to get Trump, to get him out of the White House. Mm -hmm. Uh, You've got... uh, According to the news that we're seeing back here in Australia, uh, Joe Biden ahead in the polls. Oh, baloney. Um, yeah, and Hillary was ahead in the polls by 10 points at this same point four years ago. Really? Understand what the let – me, let me explain something. If you're in Australia looking at what happens in the United States coming from our media, you're being lied to. Um, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. They're intellectually, morally, and journalistically bankrupt. They're well, in for one side. We get a double fake filter because it goes through your media and then it comes through our media. So uh, uh, I'm going to tell you that's a, a double fake filter that we're getting. Oh. But uh, that, that, that is all the news here is that uh, even bizarrely through some of our more conservative uh, newspapers that are sort of trying to put the, the message up that Trump doesn't have a chance. Um, what are you saying on the ground over there? That four years ago. Let, let me give you an example how people are here in the United States. Four years ago, we were down at our house in Florida, and what I'm, we were living in what they would call a swing county, a pretty good-sized county in Florida that could tip the election in Florida one way or the other. And one night, guess what? I was actually polled. I'm, I never thought I'd ever have that happen in my 65 years, but it did because I lived in one of those critical places And they wanted to know who I was voting for. And I looked at my wife and I said, you're not going to believe this. I'm being polled. She said, so what are you going to do? I said, watch. So who am I going to vote for? I'm voting for Hillary Clinton. I was not about to let them know who I was actually voting for. And guess what? Florida went for Trump. 
and I voted for Trump. So did my wife. So did my neighbors. So did half the people that I know down there voted for for Trump. But they're not going to tell you. Also, they tend to oversample Democrats. They just do. They they'll and they need to be sampling likely voters. But because of the ramifications, if I if somebody has a a Biden bumper sticker on their car, no one's going to damage their car. You know, I'm not going to damage your car. No one's going to mess with it. But, but if I have a Trump bumper sticker on my car, it'll get a, it'll be scratched. It'll be the people will damage it. There is an intolerance on the left for free speech. Only they can have free speech. You can't. Only yeah. their candidate can be talked about. Yours can't. So most people in the United States. We just don't tell you, or we'll we'll give you a fake, and we'll say, "Yeah, I'm voting for Hillary," yeah. and that happens. They're they're discover they discover that after the fact in the exit polls, how many people would tell people they're voting for Hillary, but they were not, and that happened in Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, and Florida, and that's why he won those states, and he's going to do it again. And I think, honestly. I think he's going to win with a wider margin this go round than he did the first time. Wow. wow. I, I, you know, when you talk to people, I know people, I know actual individuals that voted for Hillary Clinton four years ago in a state like Florida that are not going to vote for a Democrat any longer. They're done. Well, they're, they're done with being lied to. They, they're, they're, they just had it. And so they're going, they're voting for Trump. People that have never voted before are voting for Trump. They've had enough. Well, uh, we certainly hope so. I certainly hope so. And a lot of my listeners certainly hope so because uh, we get a big problem uh, around this part of the world with a country that likes to call itself the People's Republic of China. And uh, mm-hmm. Absolutely. We can't, see, we can't see sleepy Joe Biden, uh, you know, being able to handle that beast. And well, uh, his son got how many billions of dollars to, to manage from the Chinese? There, there's a conflict of interest with the, with the Biden family and the Chinese. And and a bigger problem is the fact how little we've heard of that story. Uh, there's been no, virtually no reporting of that in Australia. Uh, has there been any significant reporting of it in the mainstream media in the US? Not really. You, There are some outlets that have it, but most of, you know, CNN and NBC and ABC are ABC, uh, the American Broadcasting Company and CBS, New York Times, Washington Post, uh, Chicago Tribune, they all ignore it. They don't want to know about it. They they want to bury it. But, you know, the Bidens in China, you know, there's billions of dollars that move through uh, Joe Biden's son's hands. And also back when they were trying to do the, impe- the silly impeachment, uh, they're talking about Ukraine. Well, they keep forgetting how many millions of dollars Joe Biden's son was making from uh, the Ukrainian uh, gas company that was over there. He knows nothing about the industry, but he's being paid hundreds of thousands of dollars a month to be on their board. The most thing about that whole Ukraine situation is that there was a, uh, uh, there there was a reason, uh, (laughs) there was a real situation in the midst of all of that. Mm -hmm. And you have, heard any of any of it and the real situation involved uh joe biden's family and um and those payments but it'll come out this year it'll come out in the campaign no doubt about it you know i don't worry about it um 
of course, you know, I'm a person of faith. So I'm not going to, to me, politics is not the be all end all. Um, I'm more concerned about the work of the church. I'm more concerned about the bankruptcy we find within many of our denominations that have become liberal think tanks that have, that don't even acknowledge the gospel any longer. Uh, that's why, as you mentioned before, the Episcopal Church in the United States, they've long since walked away. Methodist yeah. Church in the United States, Presbyterians, not all, but too many of the church bodies, even certain parts of the Lutheran Church, have gone completely bonkers. They, they have literally, they, they've literally thrown their Bibles away and adopted a social gospel. And they yeah. cherry pick what they want from Scripture to back up what they're saying. It's all about love, love, love. There's never the judgment. There's never sin. There's never the atonement on the cross. There's none of it. We don't need it. You know, we just need to be loving each other. And there's such a deception. And I look at the church today, and the post-coronavirus church is going to be very different. Many churches are going to close their doors forever because they couldn't make it through the pandemic. Their people were not that committed. They value this life more than they value the life that Jesus wants to offer them. And I, I really believe many churches will never reopen their doors. I also believe there's going to be a significant part of our population over the age of 60 that's going to be scarred for a number of years because of this virus and living in fear of being in crowds that are going to have to be dealt with. And, and I really believe that we're coming into a time. I would, ne I would never go out on a limb like a lot of these preachers do and try to predict the end of the world. And is this going to happen? Is that going to happen? Is this the great tribulation? Are the angels of, with the bowls of wrath standing over our heads as we speak? I'm not going to go that far. But I will say one thing, that over the centuries, there have been times of turbulence and tribulation. It has happened in many parts of the world. As I tell somebody who looks at our situation in the United States, I remind them, if you lived in Poland in 1939, you would have thought this is the Great Tribulation as the, as the Nazis came across the border and just ravaged your country in a matter of hours. And you would have thought living under their rule, you know, being people being you know, thrown into concent, uh, concentration camps, you would have thought this is the end times. This is it. We've had many such experiences over these 2,000 years since Christ rose and, and, and walked away from that tomb. There, there's been plenty of examples, and I think it's, it's America's time and the Western world's time to go through a, a, a time of tribulation because since the Second World War, what has happened? Let's look at Great Britain. During the Second World War, people flocked to their churches. They prayed. They were concerned. And now you come 60-some-odd years later, 50 uh, years later after that, people were walking away from the church in droves. And they don't believe anymore. Um, their parents that went through the war uh, made it too easy for baby boomers like me, uh, where we didn't have to. Well, my family, we did. But for the most part, the, the, the exodus from the church started in the 1960s, yeah. accelerated in the 70s, 80s, 90s, and now today, you know, the, the majority of people in the United States and the Western world are agnostic. They don't really believe in God, or they believe in a God, but they don't believe in what they call organized religion. 
they don't hold the Bible in any esteem at all. It's just a book full of errors and and and, and myths, and 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 so we've we've earned our time of tribulation again in this country, and and I think we're going to start seeing certain aspects uh, within the way we conduct our affairs and business where the freedom of religion that we've had in this nation since its founding is going to be very challenged and tested. Uh, technically, what some of these governors are doing and, and mayors are doing regarding churches is unconstitutional, but they keep doing it anyway. Yeah. How, can, how can you say protesting is good, but church is bad? How can you get away with that? It's crazy. And, um, you know, everything that you just said, I agree with. Uh, unfortunately, the decline of the... Uh, uh, the strength of Christianity has uh, come about because a lot of the uh, mainline churches have just basically become uh, like the rest of uh, secular mm-hmm. culture. It's secular culture with a temple. Um, and exactly. uh, people don't want to go to church to uh, engage in secular culture. Uh, they want something else. And uh, I think that that's led to um, what I've just seen the other day, the Gospel Coalition in the U.S., put out a story only uh, dated the 9th of August, actually, uh, and the headline screams, survey, majority of American Christians don't believe the gospel. And uh, they go on about the uh, Cultural Research Centre at Arizona Christian University that conducted a pretty broad survey without a lot of different questions to people who identified as Christian to find that... um, most of the beliefs that people had were anything but Christian. Uh, uh, you know, there's a, almost half of them believed in universalism. Uh, mm-hmm. Most of them, uh, 54% believe, uh, uh, only 54% believed they would experience heaven after they die. Um, so, uh, let me give you a, let me give you something that I think really sums up where we are today in the church. I'm not sure who said it. I wish that I had so I could take credit for it. I can't. But a retired bishop a while back made this statement. If we as the church no longer evangelize, then the church will be evangelized by the culture that it lives within. And that is what we've seen happen in too many church bodies. We have, they have been coerced and they have been co-opted to be part of the problem. They're part of the world. They're not a part of they're not a part of anything uh, that has anything to do uh, with the actual body of Christ on this earth. Yeah, very, very sad. So uh, tell us about your church, the Reformed Anglican Church. Uh, uh, how is this different, Chip uh, Bob? All right. Well, we're probably both familiar with some of the continuing churches that are around the United States. And and it's an alphabet soup. I'll, I'll just tell you right up front. I remember a bishop friend of mine, this has got to be over 23, 24 years ago as I started out, in my 40s is when I entered the ministry. And he told me something that I, I, I thought rather fascinating you know, when, we, when we talked about the church. He said, you know, the continuing church will be the church in the wilderness. It's going to have 40 years of, of having to you know, purge itself after the breakaway from the Episcopal church at that time. And that has occurred a few years ago. Most of the founders of the church that I knew back then are all dead and gone now. And gradually, these continuing churches are beginning to stop the internal bickering. Now, for people like me and and where I'm at, 
Uh, I've been through all of the various divides and anger and getting upset with each other and forming new groups. I, I've been through it all over the past 20 years. And a bunch of us decided one day we had all come through various ringers, so to speak, um, and, and the, the troubles that we had. And we are in a small group. Um, we're not exactly high church. We're not exactly low church. Um, but we are very traditional. Uh, we are very oriented toward the prayer book. The, the closest thing, I guess, I'm not sure what is used in Australia these days, but I know the the uh, the English version from England, the 1661, uh, would be the closest uh, liturgy that I'm used to using. Uh, right. got one, yeah, I've got mine, my 1661 small one. Yeah. So, I've got also yours here, by the way. I'm a bit of a nut. Here's the 1928 American uh, bread. Yep, books. I've got some new copies of that too here as well. So, you know, we, we are traditional, um, but we're, 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 we're a small group. But we're also very evangelical. And I think that's what that's the best way I can describe, you know, who we are to other people. And so, you know, we, we got together. Uh, we have a handful of churches that are actually doing very well. Uh, one has a parochial school with over 100 students in it. So I think they've done extremely well. And another one up in Massachusetts, Florida, Virginia. Uh, let's see. Mission starting, I think, in uh, Tennessee and a couple of other churches from other smaller jurisdictions that are saying, you know, why don't we just, why don't we come together because we are so similar? And you're seeing an alignment within the, what I call the traditional Anglican churches that are not a part of the, Can that are not a part of Canterbury. Uh, the ones that are not a part uh, of the, quote, official communion. Because, unfortunately, the official communion is the Church of England, the Church of Canada, and the Episcopal Church in the United States, which are all a bunch of heretics now. I'm sorry, but they are. They, they preach things, and they accept things, and they do things that are non-biblical. Yeah. And so I can't, I can't be associated with them. E even our big group here in the United States, breakaway group that is made up of a lot of churches, is the Anglican Church in North America the ACNA, they are, they've got issues, and I don't think they're going to keep it all glued together for much longer. They have, part of them are now social justice warriors, just like the Episcopal Church was before Gene Robinson. Some are for women's ordination, and they do. They, in other words, they're like 30 different churches looking for a diocese, or yeah. 30 dioceses in seek of a cohesive church, and it's not happening. And so I'm, I'm already beginning to see you know, some chinks in that army. Uh, for the last seven or eight years, they, they've been the big shiny thing uh, because of their starting and walking away from the Episcopal Church. They're basically the Episcopal Church the day before they consecrated Gene Robinson, and there's a lot of baggage there that goes back to the 79 book that they yeah. seem to escape. Yeah. Uh, there might be some of my listeners a bit bewildered by this uh, discussion, but we're talking about the... Uh, trials and tribulations of the Anglican Church, as it's known in America, the Episcopal Church, and uh, the breakaway churches, which are called continuing churches, uh, such as the one that uh, Bishop Bob leads. Now, uh, I'm going to wrap this up with a bit of a plug for your podcast. Uh, mm -hmm. Currently got uh, your weekend show uh, with mm -hmm. Bob Beer, um, and you can find that on 
yourweekendshow.com. But tell us about your new venture that's soon to happen. I, I'm a believer in shortwave radio. And I think that as we come into these tribulation times, it's going to be very important. In the United States, we have several privately owned shortwave radio stations. We're not dependent upon the Internet to get our signal to you. We, we can cross international borders. And so I'm going to be putting together a program an hour a day, Monday through Friday, that's going to air several times on a number of frequencies. And the target appears it'll be pretty much all of North America, Canada. And on the eve- at a certain broadcast time, it should go right across the Great Circle into the UK and a good chunk of Western Europe. So that's what we're hoping for. Plus, it'll be online, but I also recognize, as you do, that the online can always be censored in many places. It can be shut down at the, you know, in an instant. Uh, if the tech tyrants don't like you, they can cut you off, or they can get your ranking so low you can't be found. And so I'm trying to build a, a radio show that even when you can't find it on the Internet, you can find it on the air because it's amazing. The tyrants of the day think that the internet is the only thing out there. Schools were amazed that there are students that couldn't get online because where they live, they have lousy internet. They're so far out in the country. And so this concept that the world is connected by the internet is true to a point, but there are a lot of people that are not. And a lot of people that are like me that recognize that, you know, international radio is, is a very powerful tool Sadly, I think in your country, your ABC shut down a lot of your shortwave stations a while back, and a lot of people out in the, your rural areas were very unhappy with that. Am I correct? Uh, we still have uh, some radio stations uh, there on the uh, on the ABC. They've reduced a lot of the um, the resourcing though of country radio stations. Most of it's just simply syndicated uh, stuff mm-hmm. from cities. Well, I think that shortwave is one of those things that, especially during times of emergencies, is a very valuable resource that shouldn't be ignored. And I'm looking at ways of eating, even adding more because I'm also an engineer. So I, when I'm in Florida, I do some work for a shortwave facility with 14 transmitters and 23 antenna systems. So wow. it's quite an operation that can – I'm not sure if we have any antennas. That, I know we've had QSL reports out of Australia on some of our frequencies. So I know we reach there. Wow. I don't think my show is going to be on one of those frequencies, but, you know, but yet give it time. Well, you can hear it on the internet and on podcast, as you said, uh, truth to ponder.com. Right. And it's actually truth. The number two ponder.com. Somebody else had already gotten truth to to, um, not a bad website, a, a very Christian re- website, so what I've got is truth, the number two ponder.com. That's truth, the number two ponder.com. I just got the website put together and there's still a few finishing touches and I've got people like you and others that I want to get involved because I see this kind of ministry growing when it becomes increasingly difficult for the church to get its you know, word out that we can use something like the internet. Uh, not just the internet, shortwave radio, along with the internet, to reach places we can't reach. Um, I know one Christian station that I'm on, uh, which is another shortwave facility in the over in Africa, it can reach into the Middle East. And 
quite often some of your kind of, you know, the Middle East, you know, certain countries will shut down the gospel coming in. They will. Pakistan is one that can do that whenever they, they, they can minimize you. China, of course. And so we can reach North Korea and China with radio where they can't be reached with the Internet. Yeah, well, That's how I look at it. Well, more power to you, and I uh, encourage people to go and listen to your uh, podcast and radio show. Um, Bishop Bob Beerman, uh, thank you very much for joining us uh, for this edition of the Conservative One podcast. God bless you and all you do, and here's hoping for a Trump victory in November. Same here, same here, and bless you, my brother. You're listening to Conservative Wine. Thank you for being with us here on Conservative One, the podcast defending traditions and freedoms, hosted on The Good Source, a great platform for all of the conservative news and opinions that you need. And if you missed uh, the weekly wrap-up with Karina Rockatel, uh, have a look uh, on the Good Source website. It's www.goodsource.news. New shows on daily. Uh, tomorrow, the very, very hard-hitting Bernie Gaynor show. You've got to tune in to see Bernie's takedown of the left and uh, all of the stupidity that, uh, that sadly goes on in the name of the left and political correctness in this country. So uh, Bernie Gaynor show tomorrow. We will decide who comes to this country and the circumstances in which they come. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. You've been listening to the Conservative One Podcast with George Christensen.